very good day to you. And this is Father Toby with your word for today. And uh, let's begin with the gospel, which is from Matthew chapter 25. Jesus spoke this parable to his disciples. The kingdom of heaven is like a man on his way abroad, who summoned his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to a third one, each in proportion to his ability. Then he set out. The man who had received the five talents promptly went and traded with them and made five more. The man who had received two made two more in the same way. But the man who received one went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now a long time after, the master of those servants came back and went through his accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents came forward bringing five more. Sir, he said, you entrust me, entrusted me with five talents. Here are five more that I have made. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have shown you can be faithful in small things. I will trust you with greater. Come and join in your master's happiness. Next the man with two talents came forward. Sir, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. Here are two more that I have made. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have shown you can be faithful in small things. I will trust you with greater. Come and join in your master's happiness. Last came forward the man who had the one talent. Sir, he said, I had heard you were a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered. So I was afraid and went off and hid your talent in the ground. Here it is. It was yours. You have it back. But his master answered him, You wicked and lazy servant. So you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered. Well then, you should have deposited my money with the bankers, and on my return I would have recovered my capital with interest. So now take the talent from him and give it to the man who has the five talents. For to everyone who has will be given more, and he will have more than enough. But from the man who has not, even what he has will be taken away. As for this good-for-nothing servant, throw him out into the dark, where there will be weeping and grinding of teeth. Now, I've gone uh, to preach today with, uh, with the gospel from Sunday. Now, I could have uh, gone with the first reading, which begins, A perfect wife, who can find her? The story of how I became a priest. Um, but I'm not going there. Let's go with uh, today's gospel. Um, and uh, t- today, today's gospel, I think, can be a, a difficult a difficult one for us. And I just want to give you a, a little bit of a background, first of all, on that. Because I don't know if any of you have ever read Tom Holland or listen to his podcast, The Rest is History. Um, it's an acceptable alternative to listen to this podcast if the radio signal ever goes down. But a while ago, I heard Tom Holland make the very good point that people often attack Christianity, calling it a force for evil due to the various evils, wars, inquisitions, insert your own option, done in its name. But the point he makes is that the moral framework used by those seeking to discredit Christianity as opposed to individual Christians who do wicked things, or groups that have corrupted the gospel to their own ends. This moral framework is one which is fundamentally Christian. 
The Roman Empire, which, according to a recent trend, I feel a deficient man for not thinking about enough, this empire had no qualms about its raping, pillaging and conquering. In fact, I find it hard to imagine DEI, diversity, equality, inclusion initiatives arising out of any culture that was not the fruit of Christianity. And the fact that only the Christian worldview can sustain views around the dignity of the human person and human freedoms that she cherished was recently cited by Anne Hersey Ali as reason for her conversion. The Dutch Somali politician and activist was raised Muslim, became atheist and has now said she is Christian and has come to Christianity precisely because no other worldview can sustain these goods she cherishes. Now, there's a danger with this way of thinking that religion becomes instrumentalized as a means to bringing about the goods that I want to see, and thus its inherent truth or the radical call to life in Christ loses its centrality. But notwithstanding this point, the goodness of the fruit of Christianity should point to the goodness of the entire tree. And it should not surprise us that people see good fruit and then ask about the tree. T.S. Eliot makes a similar point better than me when he points out that our society is a fruit of Christianity and that even its despisers were to a certain extent parasitical upon the culture that, that, that it had given them. He writes, It is in Christianity that our arts have developed. It is in Christianity that the laws of Europe have, until recently, been rooted. It is against the background of Christianity that all our thought has significance. An individual European may not believe that the Christian faith is true, and yet what he says and makes and does will all spring out of his heritage of Christian culture and depend upon that culture for its meaning. Only a Christian could have reproduced a Voltaire or a Nietzsche. I do not believe that the culture of Europe could survive the complete disappearance of the Christian faith, and I am convinced of that not merely because I am a Christian myself, but as a student of social biology. If Christianity goes, the whole of our culture goes. All of which is a rather long lead-in, but I hope a thought-provoking one to our gut reaction to today's gospel. Because I think when we hear today's gospel, we can feel a little bit sorry for the man who was given only one talent, and we can feel that he was treated a little bit unjustly. He was, after all, only given one talent. The others were given at least twice as much. And we can then start dwelling on the fact that life is very unfair, and some people are given so much and other people so little. And I'm not saying that's wrong. And if you think life is unfair, especially when you're focusing on what somebody does not have that you do have, then I'd encourage you very much to do something about it. But I do think it's very important to point out that if you do think that way, you probably only think that way because of your sense of justice has been formed by Christianity. Most non-Christian civilizations for most of history would have no such sense of unfairness. Yes, you pay back what you owe. That justice is recognisable across most societies. But the justice that is a concern for the plight of the poor and those simply living given less, that is not nearly so universal. But that aside, what it's easy to miss in today's gospel is that the man who was given one talent 
was not given something small. Talent wasn't a coin, it was a measurement of weight and a pretty big one. One talent is around 100 pounds, 7 stone or 45 kilos, depending on your preference. Talent of gold today would be worth around one and a half million pounds. It's also important that we don't hear the word talent and immediately substitute our contemporary English meaning of the word. The French gospel, um, in fact, uses a word uh, today which means ingot, lingo, which avoids the potential confusion. What we are not talking about here, or at least not primarily, is a person is is a person using their gifts at doing this or that. Yes, we should develop our gifts and use them for the sake of others, but as I said, this parable is not primarily about talents as we now use the word. It's not about making the most of your talents, despite what school teachers are no doubt tempted to want to do when this gospel comes up in a reading at assembly. Now children, make sure you study and practice hard and make the most of your talents. Make Jesus happy, or rather the talent we should speak about here is, I think, the capacity for holiness. But there are two striking things about this parable that the normal reading of it overlooks. The first is that the servants are entrusted, each of them, with something of extraordinary value. As I said, we're not speaking here of being a good violinist or really good at algebra. Those are nice things. But in the Christian life, they're not the most important or precious thing. We're talking about something more profound. I would say, first of all, we're talking about the gift of life in the first place, but then even more so the gift of life in Christ. That's the most astonishing gift we could ever receive. Now, none of us could create ourselves. We have all received life from our parents. Similarly, none of us could baptize ourselves. This gift of a share in the life of God had to be given us, and it had to be given us by the divine. This share in God's life is indeed granted to some to a greater extent than others. Are we not all aware that some are extraordinary saints, while many of us find ourselves somewhat less blessed? Are there people to whom holiness just seems to come a little bit easier than others? People who find it easier to be loving, people who find it easier to pray. Yes, absolutely there are. Community life makes you well aware that some of your brothers just have greater spiritual gifts than you have. But each of us who is baptised has received infinitely more than those who have not been. All of us baptised have been granted something absolutely extraordinary. But this something extraordinary is not likely to overflow into great skill in any particular earthly activity that might cause you to be called talented or extraordinary. It will overflow, rather, into that superhuman charity, which is the love of God himself. And Christian charity is something rather different from being talented. Some great saints have had very few talents. They have been remarkably ordinary in terms of what the world would call talented. The second striking thing about this parable is a consequence of what we've just been discussing. Jesus says, from those to whom much is given, much will be expected. None of us, as I said, have been given little. Some have been given more, but none given little. 
the divine life, the Eucharist, could never be described as little. And so the parable invites us to recognize that God expects, in fact demands, that the great gift he has given us should bear fruit. Too often it doesn't. And a part of the reason it doesn't is because we don't recognize the immensity of the gift we have because we're too focused on what we have not been given. Think of how much of our lives, especially online, is ordered towards a focus not on what we have, but on what we do not have. It's one of the precious things about Radio Maria, no advertising. Much of the charity that you do in life will not be noticed by others. The prayer you say for the man you see hobbling in the street, the sign of the cross and the quick Hail Mary you say as the ambulance passes by, that doesn't mean that it doesn't matter. Grand gestures tend to be just that, gestures. What matters is the humdum, humdrum charity of the everyday reality of our lives. More and more as I get older, I get struck by the love with which, with which some people go about unglamorous tasks. The love that some people take in feeding others. The pleasure that some take in cleaning our church, volunteering for the choir, to serve at mass. The countless ways in which people show great love in ordinary things. One such story really struck me when I read it on Friday. I think it struck me with particular poignancy because my mother is a waitress and I know the way that she has loved thousands of customers over the years by just serving them and loving them as well as she possibly can in that moment. The story is from an extraordinary book-length interview with the singer Nick Cave called Faith, Hope and Carnage. In the book, Cave is describing his most recent album, absolutely amazing by the way um, but he's describing it and the way it helped him deal with the tragic death of his son Arthur age 15 and he speaks of the way that God was working in the making of the album and of the work of God made known in others here's a little bit where God was working through someone else there's a vegetarian takeaway in Brighton called Infinity where I would eat sometimes I went there the first time I'd gone out in public after Arthur had died there was a woman who worked there, and I was always friendly with her. Just the normal pleasantries, but I liked her. I was standing in the queue, and she asked me what I wanted, and it felt a little strange because there was no acknowledgement of anything. She treated me like anyone else, matter-of-factly, professionally. She gave me my food, and I gave her the money, and, ah, oh, sorry, it's quite hard to talk about this. As she gave me back my change... She squeezed my hand purposefully. It was such a quiet act of kindness, the simplest and most articulate of gestures, but at the same time it meant more than all that anybody else had tried to tell me, you know, because of the failure of language in the face of catastrophe. She wished the best for me. In that moment there was something truly moving to me, about that simple, wordless act of compassion. God is so extraordinary, and he has given us such extraordinary dignity that his love can be felt in the squeeze of a hand. Now here's another story that a woman after Mass told me, prompted by my mention of the value of just one Hail Mary. Um, it's a story of a priest who was jogging around a neighbourhood 
that he didn't normally jog in, and he saw an ambulance in someone's driveway. And the priest said he thought to himself, I'm not a doctor, I don't know whose driveway this is. And so I just kept running. I prayed one Hail Mary, I didn't think anything of it. But the following week, the priest was jogging in the same neighbourhood and heard a woman calling. He continued running, but she finally got his attention. She said to him, You saved my life. And the priest, Father Petrovich, then responded, We don't know each other. How did I save your life? And the woman responded, No, I recognise your face. Last week I was rushed to the hospital in an ambulance and I was dying. I knew I was dying. And Jesus appeared to me. He held out his hand and your face was on the palm of his hand. And Jesus said, You were going to die, but because of the prayer of this man, you're going to live. What a jolt that was for not only my prayer life, but my family's prayer life, the priest said. Our outlook on prayer itself, and especially prayers of intercession. When somebody asks you to pray for them, or you volunteer to pray for somebody, you never know how exactly it's going to work out, because in the end, it's always God's will. But in a case like this, to have something that dramatic and profound, somebody to come up and tell you something like this, that was more than enough to take me back and draw me even that much closer to play, praying to the Blessed Mother. Because as we all know, she is the direct line of intercession to her son, Jesus Christ in answering all prayers for everyone. Let's now listen to There Is A Green Hill Far Away, sung by the choir of King's College, Cambridge. This was a Radio Maria podcast. If you enjoyed it, do please click like and subscribe on your podcast provider or leave us a review. Every bit of feedback helps increase our visibility and allows us to reach more people with the message of Christ's saving truth. And if you don't already, you can listen to Radio Maria live either online or on DAB in selected regions of the UK. We'd love for you to call in live and be part of the conversation. See our website, radiomariaengland.uk, for more details and a full schedule of programmes. And do please consider making a donation so that we can keep making more programmes like this. We are completely dependent upon the generosity of our listeners.